Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker. I'm joined as always for our fallout show by Santiago Beltran, and we are here this week to once again celebrate and discuss a St. Louis City SC victory, a one nothing hard-fought win against Toronto FC on the road. But before we get into all that, Santi, how are you and how's the match for you? Oh, doing great, doing great. Obviously, uh, an away win, it's always great uh, when St. Louis had to grind out but um it's always great to talk to you after a win so doing great nothing better Santi we've got a packed show today we not only have to look at the Toronto FC win but we also have a big LAFC preview and we're recording this the day after the matches and match day 24 delivered for St. Louis City so let's dive into it starting off as we usually do with the starting 11 from Toronto we ran out the same lineup for the second time this season. So we're up to what 19 different lineups in 21 matches, I believe. Yep. This weekend we ran out Berkey at net, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow, and Akil Watts on the back line. Jabulu Blom, Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson in our midfield, Sam Adenaron, Nico Joachini up top. Bradley Carnell said of this group, we didn't have the greatest start and had to grind it out in the first half, but good teams need to grind out results. And Santi We've seen this lineup have some pretty good success over the past few games with a majority of this lineup, in fact, being their third time together. Guys like Sam Adeneron, Akil Watts, Josh Yarrow, and AZ Jackson. But to see this win in a different style, doing a different t- different tactical approach they had to do because this Toronto FC gave, team gave them fits in the first half, it was exciting to see how they were able to pull this out and really grind it out, like Carnell said, with uh, a different approach compared to what they saw against uh, a San Jose earthquake type team. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was great to see that lineup consistency again, the same guys that got the win last week, getting a chance to do it again. Uh, I was thinking maybe there were going to be a couple of changes. Uh, just thinking about Wednesday, maybe resting some guys, but um, same lineup again. And the guys were able to, to get it done and and again guys that um just had their chances in the last few weeks uh Josh Jaro, Sam Adeniran, um AC Jackson uh, playing well, Akil Watts. Uh, it's great to see that those guys are getting the most out of their, the chances they are getting. Yeah, and talking to Carnell post game, I was curious how that lineup came to be because there's a balancing act to me of needing to ride the hot hands, as I said to him, and and knowing that you have three games in eight days, and how do you manage that? And to him, it was really, you do ride the hot hands. You do have to find those in form, and everybody's always fighting for a shot. You're always having everybody come to him and say, I want more playing time. I think I've earned it. I deserve it. I, I've shown you. And then have to, have to juxtapose that with who is in form and who really needs to ride the momentum, carry the wave, so to speak. And and have that where you're you're managing loads and you're checking guys regularly with training staff to see how they're responding to previous games, how they're able to handle different treatments and carry forward. So to have this be the first game there, it was a, in a sense, a, a should win, like we talked about on flyover last week, doing knowing how Toronto came into this, how depleted they were. It's it's a road game. So still anything could have happened on the road and almost did. But I think this St. Louis team showed that no matter which players go out on the field yet again, the depth is there and it truly is a next man up approach. They're plugging and playing and they're doing what they need to do. Akil Watts and AZ Jackson said it both after the game that they have that mentality and they're always ready to go when their numbers are called. And, and 
it was interesting to see how this team responded to what Toronto threw at them from a defensive perspective, how they dropped back in their shape, how they gave them different struggles on the wings. And so, Santi, let's look at how the passing network broke out because that's one of our fun things that we do on Fallout. I found it really interesting that the passing network for St. Louis City was a little more compact, especially up top, than I was used to seeing. In the in the previous two games, Sam Adeneron had found himself a little more free and open on the left flank. But in this match, Sam and Nico were very tight against Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, and Indiana Vasilev in that diamond. And the diamond was kind of flat overall, where you had those guys pushing up and finding a lot of horizontal movement there. You're seeing a lot of guys in the attacking midfield, and you're seeing Jabulu Blom as almost an island unto himself in the midfield, able to connect the back line and the attackers very well. But what did you see in our in our shape and our formation? Did you did you think the diamond was effective? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, a different um, formation when when looking at the passing network. Uh, but um, the guys were able to to get the job done. Uh, this time around, um, Akil Watts uh, not as close to midfield or even um, on the opposing end like we saw uh, the previous game. Uh, so now you can see you can see more like four in the back instead of what we saw last game where it was basically three in the back and Akil Watts uh, doing a lot of attacking on the right side. But this time, uh, Toronto uh, kept him a little busier with, with Marshall uh, being a threat on that side and actually in the first half uh, he uh, got some space a few times i was able to uh, to get some crosses that in the end uh, and ended up not hurting city but i like how the team does adjustments and jabula uh, blom again in the midfield uh, basically he he can do anything there and uh, just being there by himself and giving more more liberty to um to Stroud and to Vasilev to uh, to attack, um, that's great. And um, the team continues adjusting to what other teams um, give them. So um, I like uh, what the team did yesterday. Yeah, Jaquiel Marshall-Rudy was a really interesting variable in this game. And he did give some fits to guys like Indiana Vasilev and Akil Watts on our right side. It was interesting. I... I Heard Akil Watts' post-game comments, and then I looked back and saw what his formation and shape looked like for most of the game and and what uh, Marshall Rudy's impact was. Akil said after the game, because I was curious, what in his mind allows him to move forward, what allows him to stay back, and what his overall mindset is when you're playing a fullback position and you're given freedom and flexibility, but you still have responsibilities defensively. And he, he did say how he loves in this system that you defend, you attack by defending. Right. And so you're able to see you're able to see the field and know that if you defend soundly, as soon as you turn the ball over, you're moving up the field and you create the attack. But Marshall Rudy created a lot of space on their left side, our right, to force Akil to come back. And Akil told me that it was really you just keep having to check over your shoulder. And it's it seems a little a little on the nose or obvious, but you just keep checking to see who's behind you and where you are on the field and what you need to cover because you have defined space, you have responsibilities. And so knowing that Marshall Rudy was out there creating space in their attacking left and Akil had to fall back a little bit, I think that's what enabled so much um I don't want to say disconnect, but so much space between Akil and Indiana. And 
Akil had himself a good game um, in isolation. He definitely had a good moment there that we'll talk about for the goal. But looking back at the stats, Akil just had that one moment in his shot creating actions. And so he did get some crosses off. He did have some high movements, but it was a lot more of a defensively sounded match for Akil and Kyle Hebert on the other side. They, they did let the midfielders kind of work up and it was really all owned by AZ Jackson who had himself by far the man of the match. The, the movements that we were able to do in our attacking end Santi, I think uh, it, it, it was a night and day match in a sense. So the first half you had a few chances that you can almost count and remember the exact types of chances because there were so few, but the second half we really unloaded a little bit. So total in this match, XG wise, St. Louis won the XG battle 1.38 to Toronto's 0.49. And, and this is a Toronto team that we knew this was their MO. They would get shots off from distance, but none of them would really have bite to them. And there were a few sequences that were very emblematic of that. The possession was exactly what we expected it to be, 38 to 62. It was a prototypical St. Louis match, but it was a tale of two halves. So in the first half, Toronto outshot St. Louis City 10 to 6, with St. Louis out shooting them on target 3 to 2, meaningful shots again. But in the second half, flipped that script entirely. St. Louis had 11 shots, Toronto had 2, and St. Louis had 3 on target, Toronto had 1. In fact, I think I have that the last shot on target from Toronto was in, I believe, the 51st minute, which oh, seems, wow. seems a little wild. But if you look at their XG line, it is entirely flat. There are no shots on target after that point. And, and it, was after one, it was after a Berkey save, his third save of the game. And they, they had some bite. They had some movement in their attack. But after that 51st minute, there was nothing. But... Let's start off with kind of the beginning of the match. What did you see from how St. Louis actually started this match at the beginning? Well, I saw a, a Toronto team that uh, was giving trouble to St. Louis and um, obviously had more possession and was creating uh, problems through um, their left side. And um, only a, a few moments from St. Louis uh, on the counterattack uh, where he got some good transitions and had some some openings, uh, but it was mostly uh, Toronto. Even though they didn't have a lot of shots on goal, um, they were uh, creating chances and uh, crosses through uh, that left side with with Marshall. So um, it was one of those halves for St. Louis where, yeah, there wasn't a lot of shots on goal for uh, Toronto, but you could you will think ah. Oh, Maybe it's coming, maybe it's coming. Um, but St. Louis was able to um, basically grind, grind it out and, and go scoreless to um, the second half and then make some adjustments that allowed the team to uh, win the game. Yeah, so let's look at uh, the, the, some of those key moments that St. Louis had at the beginning of the game. I think the, the thing that struck me right off the bat is the high press worked at the beginning, just seven minutes in. Sam Adeneron had a moment with a back pass interception that he had. And he fired off a quick shot from distance in the box, but it was kind of, he didn't allow himself to settle enough. And I think that was a missed opportunity. And he kind of had the same type of a moment later on where, where he received a pass and it was in the second half and there was more space that he could have worked with. And so I, I saw a couple opportunities. Sam had some good moments where the ball was turned over and given to him in transition and they're, they're, could have been a little more movement with the ball before getting a shot off, a little more, um, a little more danger created closer to the net. That was 
an interesting thing to see uh, because we had seen some very clinical movements in, in open space by Sam Adenron previously. It wasn't having to make a move necessarily uh, split second. It was being free to, to outrun somebody or being free to cross in or receive a header, you know, those types of moments. This was a different look for Sam and Denron where he's, he's playing more open play and we're seeing kind of the familiarity of the system and how St. Louis is able to turn the ball over high and how he was able to respond to that. The other moments pretty much all revolved around AZ Jackson. So he had a, a really nice move at the 18 minute mark uh, where he kind of, had a slick move, laid it off to Nico Joachini, and Joachini just couldn't get uh, enough space on the shot. There was a defender closing, and it was a it didn't really have a lot of bite to it. It's kind of a, a weak-footed shot. But the big moment in the first half that I think we really have to address and look at is in the 11th minute, the, the PK that started off by Nico Joachini drawing a foul just outside of City's right side on the, on the box. It was a dangerous area, and this was a, a pass where Joachini was attempting to have a give and go with Indiana Vasilev and, and move closer in the channel on the right side. Indiana Vasilev took the free kick. It hit the wall, went out of bounds. Everybody starts moving on as if they're getting ready to replay and then hold up. VAR gives it a look, gives it a long look. And yeah. upon replay, they conclude. I don't actually know what they conclude. They conclude that the ball didn't hit a player's arm. They conclude that the player wasn't making himself big. It wasn't a, uh, an abnormal uh, run-of-the-mill body action. I'm not quite sure exactly what the reasoning was, and I'll be interested to watch MLS's instant replay this week uh, where Christina Uncle is going to be hosting it. I, I honestly have no idea what the justification was, and I think the announcers on the call didn't either. They were very much, every time they went back to the replay, they saw that they saw what I saw, which was that, the to me, it hit the left arm of Raul Petreda, who was on their right side of the box or right side of their wall. Brandon Cervania was in the middle, and they kind of seemed to lock arms. Right. I'm not sure who was holding whose arm, but they definitely had some connection there on their arms, which is fine if the ball doesn't hit your arm, but it did. And I saw, I don't know whose arm it, it hit. I thought it was uh, Petreda's on the right, but they made themselves bigger. The ball hit their arm and bounced out. And I'm not quite sure how you're able to look at that multiple times in replay and say that wasn't an, uh, an abnormal soccer move. Yeah. Especially after looking at it for so long. Um, yeah. To me, to me it was a humble for sure, but it, those plays, uh, this is one of the things I don't like about VAR because basically nobody, nobody, Nobody from City like was uh, like claiming, hey, there was a humble or nobody like everybody like went about their business. They they were ready to to go to the next play, um, and um, if they had not reviewed it, nobody would have said anything. So that's one of the points where VAR um, I don't like it just because um, this was just a normal play. Nobody will have said anything after the game. Um, and then the, it took forever to review it. And at the end, the outcome was the same. You know, that's an interesting point that VAR is, I guess it gets to what the purpose of VAR is, right? Is it, is it for a non-referee on the field to be watching at all times and saying, oh, no matter what the call and feel like, I feel you missed something. And then you go to, you, you take your own look and you see if, if you need to have the head official look at it. Or is it really to if there's a if there's a dispute on the field, 
to go back and look at it. I guess those are some philosophical questions about VAR that are are more in the weeds of you know what the what the entire intent is. Is it true? Because I think in this case you're you're spot on that it really was VAR as a an entirely different official having a different perspective of the game, able to see and take other looks when nobody else on the field might be catching something. And it's it's not as straightforward as a guy seemed like he was offside or this obviously hit somebody's arm during a shot in open play in the box and the players are all clamoring for it. This was uh, this was that moment, like you said, where they just acting like it was normal, didn't think anything of it. Indy, who just took the shot, wasn't irate that it seemed to hit an arm. So that's a fair point. And uh, that, that might be interesting to discuss in the future. But after that, you know, that happened at the 11th, 12th minute. The, the game progressed and we had some more, I mean, back and forth. Toronto did control possession for the a vast majority of the first half. They had 65% possession at the end of the first half. Berkey had a few good saves. Two of his three saves came at the 38th minute where in the same sequence, he punched it out, he grabbed the rebound, and then he delivered a really long throw that in, in usual manner, I said this in the first half, it was emblematic of the entire half where Berkey had two great saves. Toronto was pressuring. He got the ball out in space in transition and nothing came of it. And that was just St. Louis city in the first half. Nothing really came of it, whether it was Marshall Rudy on, on our, our right-hand side or an inability to create anything um, in, in the wide flanks for crosses. It just didn't have a whole lot of bite in the first half, but then the second half, it really seemed like it changed. St. Louis made some adjustments. They were able to change some spacing that they worked on, on our right-hand side, um, Jabulu Blown became a little more involved in some of his deliveries and, and the ball ended up in some more dangerous areas. And that all led to a goal pretty quickly here in the second half, 50 minutes, the goal by AZ Jackson that everybody's talking about right now, his first MLS goal delivered by Akil Watts with his first MLS assist started off by typical St. Louis city high pressing. Akil Watts was the one who intercepted the ball on our right side after pressing on the player's and, and a bad pass, Akil took it, intercepted it, sent it forward to AZ. There was some quick passing between Nico Joachini, Indiana Vasilev, and back to Akil Watts, who crossed it over to AZ Jackson, who, while this was going on on the right channel, is basically the right channel, the right wing, in the box, this, this passing was occurring. As it was going from Nico to Indy back to Akil, AZ was just kind of floating back into the middle of the box and just acting like nobody could see him. And nobody saw him until he received the pass and and very confidently, very coolly slotted it home for the first goal. What did you see from that sequence and AZ's overall performance to start the second half? Great, great finishing uh, by AC Jackson. Um, and yeah, the press uh, really worked um, at that time. Uh, Akil Watts recovering that ball and, and creating that play. But uh, AC Jackson creating the space for himself and then uh, had a lot of time to uh, to finish the play. Um, he like uh, and he uh, he. Uh, I was reading um, some of the press conference remarks because I, I didn't listen to all of it. And he was saying that he gave himself time to uh, position himself and uh, basically get the shot he wanted. So it was great to see that he created all that space and all that time for himself to uh, to finish the play. But yeah, he had a great game, um, man of the match officially this time around. Uh, I was thinking about last week when uh, the man of the match was Berkey, but Berkey himself uh, 
basically uh, put something on social media. He put uh, AC's uh, picture saying that that was his man of the match. So he got it officially this time. And uh, just uh, a tell of first, uh, first goal for AC Jackson, first MLS assist for uh, Akil Watts, and uh, just a great performance uh, by two guys that have been uh, have been working to to get minutes and got minutes um, the last couple of games. So it was a great start of the second half for City. Right before City's goal, um, Toronto created created a chance that ended up going wide. Uh, and after the goal, again, they they created another good chance that Berkey ended up saving. But as you as you were saying, that was like their last shot on goal, and after that, it was um, all City. I think the the miss you're alluding to is one that went. It was on the ground that went just wide of the goal, and in seeing that in real time, you think that that's going to be incredibly dangerous. I hope, and I kind of have. I give the benefit of the doubt to Berkey, obviously, in that case where the spacing and the the, the geometry of the whole thing was understood. Berkey knew where he had positioned himself to, to be able to defend in the far post on that kind of a shot. So that was, I see that. And I think now given the obvious history that we've seen from Berkey in the past, but also what he's done this year, that when we see that kind of a play, a shot that goes wide that Berkey doesn't make a big movement on, I think that he has that red and there's no reason to think why he doesn't Berkey himself looking at some of the players, uh, three saves, 12 recoveries, this was Roman Berkey's 150th total clean sheet in his career in his sixth clean sheet this year. So in six clean sheets and 21 matches, that's not bad, especially with the style of play that St. Louis plays, where it's high risk, high reward, and you're often challenged in some very uncomfortable and dangerous spots. Another fantastic game by Berkey. But I do like the shout out last week to his uh, Photoshop skills, taking the man <laughs> of the match and and making it AZ because this this was his match. If you If he didn't, if he was robbed last week and he didn't get it, this was his time to shine. 82 minutes played by AZ Jackson. First MLS goal, like we said. He had three chances created, 17 of 20 accurate passes, 38 total touches. And this was a game where St. Louis didn't create much until later in the second, and AZ had it all in the first half. He had his hand in just about everything, whether it was Marshall Rudy causing issues on, on our flank or an inability to move the ball dangerously on our wings and keeping our attackers closer to our midfielders. AZ Jackson was the prototypical number 10 for St. Louis city. He was the guy who was playmaking, who was directing the ball. They called him the artist on the broadcast. And I'm in love with that moniker at this point, because not only from FIFA and the kind of uh, different attributes you can give a player, that's AZ to me. He's the artist. He's the one who can just as easily dribble the ball 30 yards upfield as he can to receive the ball, understand what he needs to do, make a quick movement and then pass it off. He's, he did a, so much in this game that really showed his versatility. And we're really seeing consistency now between guys like AZ, Sam, Yarrow, and Watts. Because Yarrow and Watts had good games in their own rights. I thought they're looking at some of their stats. Josh Yarrow played a full 90. Akil was subbed out after 67. Yarrow had three passes into the final third, two blocks, and he led everyone with six clearances. Had five recoveries, two ground duels, and six aerial duels won. He, Josh Yarrow was the guy during the game where I saw Tim Parker attacking different uh, players. He moved up on the ball quite a bit. And then this seemed to be the MO of how their partnership worked. It was if, if the ball is near them, Tim Parker is going to move forward and make it uncomfortable for the ball handler. And Josh Yarrow has the space around him from the sides behind him. Yarrow was able to very, very, very confidently position himself to, to clean up and, and defend and disrupt everything 
aside from Tim Parker. I thought their partnership worked very well together, and it, it just really it enhanced what guys like Jabula Blom and Akil Watts and Kyle Hebert were able to do on our defensive end. What other players do you want to highlight or really call out that had some notable games? Um, so Akil Watts, again, I'm taking advantage of the opportunity to start. Um, well, I think you, you said all, all the ones, uh, Jackson, uh, but the great, um, great team, uh, effort, uh, yeah. like everybody, uh, doing what they were supposed to do back to, uh, Joe's Jarrow. Uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned he, he had a, a few interception, a, a few, um, block shots. There was a very important one, uh, early in the game, fifth minute, um, with uh, Toronto uh, switching the ball from left to right, and uh, they had a, an opportunity to shoot it, and and Jaro blocked that shot, and that was very early early in the game. That was uh, the first uh, chance that Toronto created, and from from there um, he continued growing into the game, and um, it's just, I'm just happy to see a guy like like Josh Jaro uh, shine uh, when he gets the opportunities uh, because for 18 games uh he had not gotten a lot of opportunities uh coming like late in the games uh when when city needed some help defensively but the last three games he gets the starts and um he has not made any mistakes he has been doing great things uh defensively intercepting balls blocking shots uh clearing the ball so um it's great to see a guy like josh uh, rewarded for his hard work Everything that Josh Yarrow is doing now is exciting in the moment. And you're so you're so just proud of him for reaching this, knowing the impact he's had on the St. Louis community, the St. Louis fan base, his teammates as a captain on City 2 and as part of the leadership council on City. But if you think long term, and I try not to think too much, even though everybody speculates, the, what Josh Yarrow is doing now is making me uncomfortable for our back line in the future. And what I mean by uncomfortable is, it's in a good way because in a 4-4-2, you're going to have two center backs and you can make an argument that Kyle Hebert is proving himself as a left back. But with Josh Yarrow in the form that he has, having started the last three games with a healthy Lucas Bartlett on the roster, you're looking at Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow, Lucas Bartlett, and Joachim Nilsson as available center backs in a two, two center back uh, formation very soon. And that's that's with Kyle Hebert on the left side. So if you change that up to a three center back, then you move Kyle Hebert over and you're still in that issue of having just an abundance of wealth. And, and it's, it's an issue that the team I'm sure loves to have because that gives you so many variables and options, but parking it back to the very beginning of this conversation, Santi, where Carnell says he, he knows the importance of playing those in form and riding those hot hands and making sure that you're, you're getting the continuity. And so you could easily see a situation where you're having Hebert, Parker and Nilsson out on the field and they're winning games and suddenly it's Yarrow and Bartlett unable to break through, even though both of them have had some really amazing runs of form and helped got helped get St. Louis city to where they are right now. It's a, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. And I think the results are going to drive it in a way. So you're going to have, are you winning? Do you, do you stick with who you have or are you having reason to swap some guys out? So, yeah, definitely a good problem to have for Carnell and the coaching staff. Um, with Jaro, could he maybe play right back? Um, in Open Cup, he, he had a, some 
like at the end of the game against uh, Union Omaha, he played right back and he mm -hmm. said, yeah, I had never done it, but uh, it went okay. I, 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 I felt like uh, I did okay. So I don't know if maybe as part of that versatility, the team likes to uh, build on some players, maybe see if he can develop as a right back and be another alternative. Obviously, now you have a kill what's there. Yep. Yep. So it's not great timing, but could be another option uh, for, for the right back position. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to say is now you have Akil Watts who's shown a, an incredibly viable alternative to Jake Nerwinski. So you're too deep at right back before even considering Josh Yarrow, who, yeah, I would say that could slide over just as we saw Kyle Hebert if he had enough opportunity and enough games to get that experience in. But that that speaks to the transfer market, the transfer window that we've talked about where we do have an abundance of depth, guys who have risen up from next pro, the stat that you had last week of the six guys who were in next pro last year were starting. It's, it's an amazing story. And, and that's something that's going to be interesting to look at against LAFC and enter Miami going forward, but we've got a whole LFC, LAFC match to preview. So let's finish up this Toronto FC match. I wanted to call out a couple quick stats and fun facts out here. St. Louis city SC are now undefeated when scoring first, a 10, 0 and two record. And in particular, I love carrying this forward when I can St. Louis city are now 11, three and two when Rasmus Alm plays. And seven one and one when Jabulu Blum starts, and add add to that now with this three game uh, run of form, we can go ahead and say we're three zero and zero when Sam Az Yarrow and Watts start. So that's those guys. They are on the field and they win. Yeah, St. Louis is now the only team in MLS with at least five home wins and five road wins. With this win, St. Louis has accrued the most points by an expansion team after twenty one regular season matches in MLS history. They just passed the Chicago Fire, who had 37 points at this point. And St. Louis City has now seen 13 different players score in MLS play and 15 different players score across all competitions. One other, one other, two other notes, really, on players. Um, because I know some of the players were visibly quiet in portions of the game, like uh, Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud. There, there were work being done, but they weren't getting a lot of uh, accolades from the way things were finishing around them. Jared Stroud, in fact, led everyone with 92 yards of progressive carries, meaning the ball at their feet moving towards goal. The next highest was Roman Berkey, who you know, obviously with a few yards moving forward, and then Indiana Vasilev with 76. And then from there, it was significantly lower. So these are these are the guys who are carrying the ball up the field and trying to uh, trying to move the ball individually high up so that chances can be created, as opposed to getting involved in a lot of the scoring chances and scoring actions themselves. That was that was it's notable to me because uh, there were moments where Jared Stroud tired, I think, in the second half and the ball was getting he was he was being uh, space was being closed around him pretty well. So he got the ball high, but then he got the ball into some dangerous and not a good dangerous way uh, with the defense closing in. I would like to see a little more um, around Jared Stroud and his ability to move the ball at the field and find players quicker as opposed to getting himself into those 1v1s in dangerous spots where the fullbacks tend to outrun him when the ball's being played in the attacking wing that Stroud's moving into. The other thing for St. Louis is AZ and Indy led the team with shot-creating actions. So with the crosses, with the ball moving up, these are the two two passes before a shot. So they were, they were positioning the ball in good places for others to do work on. And then Santi... Let's look at where we are in the table from here. Any other notes from Toronto or St. Louis before we look at the where we are in the standings and move on? So very quick, back to uh, Stroud. Um, yeah, I agree. He, he looked uh, a little tired toward the end. I, I was actually surprised he wasn't one of the players that was, that was subbed out. Yeah, and, and 
we're going to talk about the rotation against LAFC, and I think that's something we're going to definitely come back to. But Toronto in this match now falls to 3-10-10 with 19 points through 23 games, and they remain second to last in the East, while St. Louis remains in first place in the West, and not just remains, but starting to separate themselves just a little bit here in this, uh, this run into the League's Cup break. St. Louis has 38 points after 21 games played with a 12-7-2 record, 12 wins, 7 losses, 2 draws, improving to 5-4-1 on the road. In fact, St. Louis is one of two teams in the West and four teams overall in MLS after match day 24 who have a winning record on the road. The other teams are Cincinnati, Orlando, and Real Salt Lake. That's an Orlando team who has very quietly stayed in, in contention in the East, but a top team in the entire league in Cincinnati and a Real Salt Lake team who has probably been the hottest team in the past month or so. And with uh, Chicho Arango joining them is only going to get better. So good company to be in kind of elite company from that perspective on uh, their ability to consistently win on the road. St. Louis is also with their 12 wins now tied for fifth most for an expansion team across an entire season tying Seattle, Orlando City, and Montreal. So you're starting to see at this point, we're, we're turning from those initial records and winning matches early to looking at a season-long expansion team and where St. Louis stacks up historically. And in, for this season, St. Louis is now five points up on Seattle, who overtook LAFC last night, a Saturday night, with a late winner against Vancouver, and LAFC could only draw the Quakes 1-1. St. Louis being first with 38, Seattle's in second with 35, LAFC tied with Real Salt Lake now at 33 points. It's amazing how things change in a couple of weeks. Uh, before the game against San Jose, we were talking about, oh, City hasn't won uh, an away game since, um, I think it was March 25th, or, or it, it had been a while. Yeah. Uh, that win against uh, Real Salt Lake. And, and now, back to, uh, back to back, wins away, winning record, playing away. And uh, in great company out there on the table. Uh, and I'm just thinking now, like uh, that decision day game against uh, Seattle Sounders, it may be an important game that, that may actually uh, matter for something, whether it is a home field advantage or at least getting a home game. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to come down to uh, that last week uh, for securing either home game or uh, getting a, at least hosting one playoff game. So um, looking forward to uh, that Seattle against City game on decision day. It could even be a CCL qualifier match because that's true. The way the East is turning out, we've got some really powerful teams in the East, like Cincinnati, Columbus, New England, uh, Nashville. And so if you're looking at qualifications to CCL, we might only get the Western Conference winner. That could be a fun wrinkle to that end of season match. If even if both teams have playoff and and home field advantage locked in. If you're playing for a CCL spot, that's that's a huge thing for decision day, especially for an expansion side. All right, Santi. Yeah, so let's let's look at LAFC. Let's pivot to LAFC. We just talked about how St. Louis is in form with three wins in three matches atop the West. LAFC is uh, no longer in second place. So LAFC looking at their last three matches they had the 1-1 draw against San Jose on Saturday night, the 2-1 loss against the Galaxy on the 4th of July, and a 2-0 loss at FC Dallas. In the standings, we mentioned LAFC had fallen down to third. They're sitting with 33 points. They've played the exact same number of matches as St. Louis, 21. They're 9-6-6, six, six, 
30 goals scored, a plus six goal differential, and they're six, two, and three at home. So they have a really good home record. They weren't able to come away with anything against San Jose this this weekend, but that's not to say that they can't at any moment given their arsenal of players since the CCL final. So let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about this LAFC mat, uh, team as they've they've played their run of form lately and and harken back to what they've done in the last year or so. This year in their in the run of form right now since the CCL final at the beginning of June, they've won two of the eight matches they've played including US Open Cup matches. The last time they won at home, Santi, was May 20th against San Jose, 2-1. to one. And since that May 20th match against San Jose, they've had four matches with zero goals, three matches with one goal, and two matches with two goals. Not a team that's been in a good run of form, and, and this is not atypical for an MLS team that has so many competitions. Having CCL, going deep in CCL, having the U.S. Open Cup where they went into June with that, and then MLS play in general, having so many matches moved around where we're a victim of that, where we were supposed to play them on May 31st, I believe. And just so many, so many moving pieces in their, their, their player availability and who they've turned over from last year. Their, their coaching has remained consistent. That's probably the only thing that has. But what do you think of this LAFC team as they come into St. Louis? Well, obviously, LAFC, one of the top teams in the conference but yeah not coming into great form um winless their last four um three uh just one tie on those last four mm-hmm. games and uh that includes uh two home games where they lost to uh lost to Vancouver and then tie last night to uh San Jose uh even um uh, San Jose uh, with 10 men um last night um the last 20 25 minutes and LAFC couldn't couldn't put away the game. So so yeah, they are not coming into great form. Um, but it's always a dangerous team. And uh, even though they haven't done well the last few games, uh, you mentioned that the record is nine six and six. So after they lost their first game, um, they have um, basically in their last. 10 games they only have in their last 10 games they only have eight points only Mm. two wins and two ties uh to show for and yeah a lot of schedule congestion but if you think about it like the the conga cup champions league final was a while ago and you will think yeah maybe they go through a few games where they are still uh, tire legs are suffering from the schedule congestion but um the last few weeks haven't been good for lafc but they're always a, a dangerous team and uh, have a good a lot of talent and they're going to want to show uh, against the team on first place that they they can compete and uh, for city it's great to uh, get to this game uh, with a with a win last night against toronto because it will give them more freedom less pressure um so i'm looking forward to to seeing this game uh, when it was scheduled for may 31st I remember um, we were talking about it early in May about what was coming for City and the opportunity to to match up against one of the best teams in the conference. Uh, obviously, that got uh, moved now to uh, July, but it's still a very important game, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what City can show against one of the top teams in the conference. Every game against a playoff opponent is a big game because every game could be six points. And, and if you lose these kinds of games, 
then it sets you back and it makes every game towards the end of the season that much more important. Coming into this, LAFC has, if anybody's familiar with LAFC, you're probably familiar with the, the We Are LAFC documentary on ESPN. You're probably familiar with the expansion in 2018. They won the double last year. Uh, first MLS team to do that um, in, in since the beginning, since the uh, initial uh, 10 teams or so. LAFC has Steve Terundolo as their head coach. Took over for Bob Bradley after the 2021 season. Bradley was their only other head coach. And Terundolo didn't come into this with very many accolades. He was the Las Vegas Lights coach, and he didn't have good season with them. He, he wasn't, wasn't a, a splashy candidate from a proving himself as a coach at that point. But first year as the LFC head coach, you can't ask for more. He took what Bradley had, and he made it right. He was able to win their second-ever Supporter Shield and their first-ever MLS Cup with some really star-studded players, guys like Chicho Arango, um, Mahalo Poku, Latif Blessing, Gareth Bale was brought in for, for most of the season and played a big contribution, especially in that MLS Cup final. Um, Christian Teo, Franco Escobar, Seba Mendez, Sebastian Amanga, Eddie Segura. But the thing about all those players, Santi, is that every single one of those players are now gone. You still have Carlos Vela. You still have Jose Cifuentes. Uh, you still have uh, guys like Ryan Hollingshead in the back line. Denny Bawanga obviously is the, the headline grabber, but this is a vastly different team from the LAFC team that won the double in 22. And it's even, it's getting more different as the season progresses because Mahalo Poku was just traded this week to Montreal to the, almost to the Montreal impact to CF Montreal for 1.75 million in GAM. It was the highest second highest GAM trade next to Paul Areola who went for two and Apoku was a contributor this year. He had two goals tied for third on their team. He was fourth on their team in shots and second in successful dribbles. This was a contributor for their, their entire season so far. And so you're removing that piece. And so this was this was the first or, first or second um, match that FC's had. They definitely haven't won a game since Apoku was traded. So having that piece missing and seeing what they can do to kind of right their own ship is going to be interesting after all this fixture congestion. And they're not without... Uh, basically at full strength. They don't have a whole lot of huge contributors who are out on injury right now. Aaron Long is out on international duty with the U.S. national team. You just have Sergi Palencia, Jesus Murillo, and Maxine Cripo. Those are the players that were injured and out against the Quakes. We assume that it was going to be, it's, it'll be a short turnaround, and so we don't know if they'll get any of those players back or if any players sustained injuries against the Quakes, but it's basically a, a fully healthy group, and it's going to be interesting to see how this fully healthy group is able to bounce back after the quakes, knowing that they're missing uh, a piece like a Poku and still trying to find their form after all these matches and all these player exits. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, looking at that Opoku trade, um, I, I'm just made me think if LAFC is getting ready to, to make a big move and that's why they wanted um, to yep. make the trade and get all that, Gam, but uh, that won't impact uh, Wednesday's game. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on what they do in the in the market uh, the next few weeks. And that's that's their mo. They did they were heavy in the summer transfer window last year, and so acquiring Gam and knowing how they've built their roster from designated players to the availability of U22s, that's going to be the thing to watch for LAFC. But you're right, it won't impact us. So what will impact us? It's going to be the 4-3-3 formation that they usually roll out. It's going to be Carlos Vela, who did not start against the Quakes. He's a guy who you figure is going to feature heavily against St. Louis. 
Vela is second on their team in goals this year with six, and he leads the team in assists with five. But Denny Boanga, he's the story. And if you're, we always like to look at those target players who the ball plays through and their impacts. And if they have, they can control the game in so many different ways. That's Denny Boanga to me. 12 goals, leads LAFC, and is second overall in MLS to Hani Mukhtar. He had a dry spell here in, in June, but he scored in two of his last four matches after a PK goal on Saturday against the Quakes. Tossing in two assists here. The ball it often finds him if they're going to be successful. And I think he's going to be the player to watch out for for me. Yeah, yeah, he has been doing great for LAFC this year. Yeah, went through um, that dry spell. Uh, but the, at the beginning of the season, uh, he was scoring like every game. And uh, I don't remember the numbers, but they were saying he was on pace for, um, I don't remember how many goals, but obviously. It was, was record setting. Yeah, those things never materialize uh, when it's so early in the season. But uh, a very dangerous player uh, and one of uh, the key pieces they, they got last year. And um, it has is definitely making the the difference for the team. I still think uh, they um, and I see this a lot uh, out there on social media. Uh, people still say that um, they never replaced Chicho Arango, and and that mm -hmm. has ended up hurting uh, LAFC and just uh, all the players that they let go from that twenty two squad. And they're still doing well in the league, uh, just not going to. to through uh, a good um, stretch right now, but um, the fact that they're going to play uh, the conference uh, leader uh, will be a good opportunity for them to to turn around. But sorry, I, I, I interrupted the, the key player, so keep going, Matt. Oh, no, you're totally good. The uh, So we mentioned how Poku was, had two goals, and he was their third leading scorer. After Denny Bowanga, Carlos Vela, they don't have a player with more than two goals. And one of those players is is one of the players to watch for me. And that's Mateusz Bogus, the 21-year-old Polish international attacking midfielder who also takes some of their corners and set pieces, has two goals, two assists in 14 games this year, is second in the team on shots taken. And he's one of their, their young, exciting stars that they brought in who can really change the game in the attacking end. He's a good playmaker, and he's, he's one of the guys I'm targeting to look at in the St. Louis game. On the other end, you see their midfield. You look at guys like Ilya Sanchez, Jose Cifuentes, and Kellen Acosta, and what they're able to do in kind of bossing around the midfield. Uh, I look at Ilya Sanchez as their defensive midfielder who comes to LAFC last year with their cup-winning team. He played for Barca's B team, then with 1860 Munich, before joining MLS with Sporting Kansas City. He does the work like a blom to me, and so yeah. he's the guy... He's the guy who you're going to have to watch for to intercept the ball and who can kind of close up space in the midfield and, and move himself higher or lower on the field or deeper, depending on what the, the tactics call for. He's third on their team in tackles. He leads their team in completed passes. So you look at in St. Louis City, where a lot of our completed passes are led by guys like Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, who are our center backs who distribute initially when we receive the ball that and that permeates through. So you don't you see meaningful passes from St. Louis from guys like Indiana Vasilev, AZ Jackson, but you see volume from our center backs. Well, for LAFC, the volume comes from Ilya Sanchez. And not only that, but you see their, their midfield able to move the ball up pretty effectively. Jose Cifuentes being second in key passes to Carlos Vela and fourth in tackles. Those key passes coming from Jose Cifuentes tells me that their midfield likes to move the ball high up the field. And we're going to get to what their their style of play is in a moment, but just keeping in mind Ilya Sanchez's ability to, to have a blown type work 
and then Jose Sefuentes being so high in those key passes. Kellen Acosta is their other midfielder who is going to see a lot of time. Very familiar for U.S. national team fans. Kellen Acosta, had, they've tried him at the six, but he's kind of played wider midfield lately. And what he's able to do will be interesting from a, a set piece or sending some crosses in. He's, he's another guy who's dangerous in his distribution. Yeah, so back to Ely Sanchez. Uh, he's going to come out with fresh legs just because mm -hmm. he, he didn't play uh, the whole game yesterday. He came in the second half. Uh, great player. I it's still uh, For me, it's still hard to believe that uh, Sporting KC let him go. Um, I know it was because of money, because he, he became uh, very expensive for Sporting KC, but um, he came to LAFC last year and basically continued doing uh, what he was doing with Sporting KC and was a key player um, in the title last year. So he's going to be with fresh legs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if also Bella starts since uh, he he came last night towards the end. Uh, so, um, yeah, may, I don't know if maybe um, LAFC was keeping like Ili Sanchez and Bella for, for Wednesday. It's interesting to see how they approach that. Those are the two players that jumped out at me who didn't start against the Quakes. And I thought immediately because of our conversations, okay, they're rotating to keep them fresh for St. Louis. And they are look, they're going to look to Carlos Vela and Ilya Sanchez to be centerpieces of what they need to do. Because when you have uh, Denny Boanga going so long and when you have Bogus going so long, you're going to need to rely on those key players. And so I look for them to play the ball in fact, through their left side a little bit, through Carlos Vela in those channels and seeing the danger that he can provide from a lot of the delivery that Ilya Sanchez might be giving them. I think that leads in pretty well to styles of play and what we can expect from LAFC. We know St. Louis City loves to attack on the set pieces. We know St. Louis City loves to have counterattacks and how we, we high press, we turn the ball over very intentionally. We may be coming into not quite a mirror version of St. Louis City, but a pretty similar version of what St. Louis City has been doing. I mentioned that LAFC will probably run out with a 4-3-3 formation. This is a holdover from what Bob Bradley did with the team, where Steve Terundolo, when he joined the when he joined the squad, he didn't overhaul everything. He more took the pieces that Bradley had that he saw that were effective at the time, and he built upon them. And so he's taken this 4-3-3, and he's emphasized pressing high and with intensity, creating opportunities for those attacking players to use that technical ability but what he's done is he's really allowed it to be more targeted and focused. And so when I was reading into the changes that Chirondolo had implemented from Bob Bradley, it's not an all-out press. It's not the Red Bull style of at, at every moment you're nonstop pressing. You're nonstop putting pressure on the, the attackers to turn the ball over. It's a lot more targeted. And so what, what Chirondolo has been able to do is take a little more of a relaxed stance when it comes to conceding possession in their own half. Since 2021, this is the stat that I really love that I talk about on flyover all the time. It's the passes per defensive action. It's that stat that shows how many passes a team allows for every defensive action a player makes. It's, you allow a team to do so many passes and then you make your move. You, you defend them. So LAFC has been slightly increasing season over season. They, in 2021, under Bob Bradley, were at 9.84, about where St. Louis City is right now. And they've slowly gotten higher to a 10.59 and a 10.84 number of passes that you allow the team to make before you make a move. And so by doing this, they've been more targeted in their approach. They're prioritizing intelligent pressing over sheer intensity. So they're winning the ball more frequently in the attacking third. 
at 7.2 times per 90 compared to the 6.5 times under Bob Bradley. And so they're, they're being more intentional in the way that St. Louis has been, where you see at times in St. Louis, Nico or Sam or Indy or AZ, they're not always pressing. They're waiting at moments to see where the first pass is going to be. This is similar to what LAFC likes to do. But the thing that LAFC does differently is when they force a turnover, St. Louis will just, bam, move the ball up the field as quickly as possible. They'll start attacking and going for goal immediately. LAFC more likes to take the ball, turn it over, and create possession in the attacking third. So they'll move the ball from wing to wing. They'll they'll try to create space in the channels. And one of the most dangerous things that I've seen LAFC do is use their channel play while they have possession for some over and underlapping runs that creates some dangerous space near the end line of their attacking goal. And whether it's a shot from wide or whether it's a, a cross in, I expect to see LAFC working a whole lot in those channels in their attacking third after possession-based attacks that initiate from their high pressing. It's a fascinating offense to watch and a fascinating defense. Yeah, even though it's a different approach, um, two teams that like to press mm -hmm. and uh, just looking at, at, this, at some of the strengths and weaknesses, uh, a lot of similarities, uh, just looking at some of the weaknesses for both teams, it says uh, defending counterattacks, uh, which basically speaks a lot about the styles of uh, both teams. Um, so it will be it will be a battle between similar styles, and um, just uh, I think we're gonna see a, a high scoring game. Um, I, I have a mm. feeling we're gonna see uh, some goals on Wednesdays. I, I would not be opposed for a nine thirty Central Time start on a Wednesday. Would not be opposed to a high scoring goal fest. But what I'm I'm kind of worried a little bit in the sense of, or maybe not worried, but interested to see how St. Louis is able to uh, adapt to not just defending in transition from a, a a pressing system, but defending in transition where if you stop the the attack of the ball, LAFC is going to be intentional with what they try to do with it. They're not going to try to go all out like St. Louis City does with their immediately go for goal as quickly as possible they're going to be more intentional. And so when you have guys like Tim Parker and either Josh Aro, Lucas Bartlett, Kyle Hebert, Nerwinski or Watts, defending well in transition, and then they stop the ball's progression, but are they able to properly gather themselves and then defend and go from defending in transition to defending in possession? And watching how they're able to close spaces when, you, when the game shifts from transition play to possession play, that's going to be important to me. And that's where LAFC does a lot of their damage in the channels, like I mentioned, is they they leverage the space that's still been created from their transition to possession change and and make some effective moves into the box. That that'll be dangerous to me. And that's where I have some of my keys to the game. So it's not it's defending not just in transition, but in the spaces and channels when they have possession. The through balls are going to be key for LAFC. And so making that adjustment for City. Also, City being quick and clinical passing to beat LAFC's press and continue to be effective with our fluid attack. I, we've seen some promise of that in the past few games, uh, but I'd like to see more. We mentioned it last week. I'd like to see more involvement from our wings. And I think uh, whatever happens on the left side, I, I tend to think Jared Stroud is not going to start. And so I'm very curious to see what we'll be able to do. Whoever ends up starting for him, uh, whether it's uh, Isak Jensen or we move over Indy Vasilev, or, or slide in Tomas Ostrak. That that could be very exciting to see how that can be countered and how we're able to be effective in there. Counterattack, counterattack, counterattack. 
Santi, that's a, that's a strength for both teams. You said St. Louis has to do that well because there are opportunities to take what transitions to possession from LAFC and hit them very effectively. If you're able to be key and clinical with your movements after you turn the ball over. So not just, and the quakes did this a few times last night where they, they initiated turnovers from LAFC's possession, but they were playing so deep in the box against LAFC. They weren't able to create many counterattacks from that. That'll be interesting to watch. The last thing that I have really is beating them in one V ones to create space where it's either finishing or moving the ball up the field. There are a lot of individually talented players on both sides of the field here. And when you're having either a Jabulu Blom or Indiana Vasilev guys who are in the midfield and, and able to go one V one and create turnovers. It's, it's recovering those and having, whether it's a ball carrier, progress the ball up the field, like Stroud and Vasilev did against Toronto, or whether you're having some quick movements by our number 10, whoever that ends up being AZ or Ostrak or Indy, it's going to be important to have one V ones one, just like AZ did against Toronto multiple times in order to create some space and move the ball up the field in transition. Yeah, definitely. Those talented players are going to have to um, make a difference on, on those one V ones. But two talented teams going against each other. So Matt, uh, why don't we look at the predicted lineups for, for Wednesday? This is one of the more difficult ones for me. I, I didn't stay up all night thinking about it, but I definitely had dreams of what kind of lineups we could roll out. And I guess that's what happens when you, uh, when you end and, and end one day and wake up the next day thinking about city. But I landed on, um, well, this is the lineup I landed on before I went to sleep. Let's see how sleep deprived I was. Berkey and net Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow, Akil Watts, all back in the lineup. Blom, Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrak, AZ Jackson, Nico Joachini, and Salio Pompeu in a, a typical STL diamond with Ostrak on the left and Salio in for Sam on the left as well. And it's not just the, f- I felt both had uh, subpar games compared to what they had done previously. It's the volume of it all. And so this is the opportunity to get more time in for uh, Salio and for Tomas Ostrak, who didn't feature and, and to have them play these minutes against a high quality team and be those uh, high individual talented players while also resting Jared Stroud, resting Sam. And we saw how Indy, we saw Nico Joachini sub out early. Those, the reasoning for subbing them out early, I think, is to make sure that they're healthy and ready to go. I, I just don't want to see a lineup. I'd be hesitant to see a lineup without Indiana Vasilev and Nico Joachini. This is an opportunity, I think, to give Sam a little bit of rest because I want to see him back at City Park next Saturday. Yeah, and uh, that's an important note uh, that um, Indy and um, Nico were able to rest, even uh, Akil Watts. Uh, mm-hmm. they, both, all of them got subbed out in the 67 minute. So I think that it speaks a little bit about what we're looking uh, for Wednesday. So I have uh, Berkey, Kyle Heaver, Tim Parker, Lucas Barlett, and then I have uh, Akil Watts uh, on the right side. Same diamond formation. Uh, I have uh, Jabulo Blom. And then I have uh, Indiana Basilev and Rasmus Alm. And then AC Jackson as, as, the, as the 10. And then up top, I have um, Celio and um, Joaquini. Just because, uh, as you were saying, Sama played the 90 minutes yesterday and he's going to need a, a break. Uh, so I think this will be a Celio's chance uh, to to get another start. You know what you did there, Santi? 
you you did what I did a week or two ago, saying that Rasmus Alm is going to start in more of a midfield role <laughs> underneath of our two attackers. Yeah, I I would love I, I I would love if it works out. I would have loved it back then. I would love it this time. I I just want to see more Rasmus Alm on the field. I think end of the day, and in a crowded attack, especially with uh, on the left side, um, or crowded attack on the right side where Nico Joachini often plays. There's a, I just want to see, I want to see more of Alm. I'd love to see more of Alm with Salio and Joaquini on the field. If you work out well, and I think your Bartlett for Yarrow is a good call out just because of volume. Uh, I went with riding the hot hand in Yarrow, but I could see it going either way. The The formation is going to be sound against LAFC to see how they uh, are able to protect in the midfield, which is a very strong point against Toronto and to see how Carlos Vela is able to work on the wings and in the channels is going to be key. So what's your score prediction, Santi? I'm going to put you on the spot first. Yeah, no. So I said uh, I had a feeling it was going to be a high-scoring game, so I'm going uh, with 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Not as quite not quite as high a scoring. I think I've got to uh, mentally adjust myself with my 4 nothing prediction against Toronto. <laughs> i got to get back to reality a little bit more is what, what's going on here. I've got a realistic one for us this week. I've got a 1-1 draw. I think uh, one point against LAFC – Let's make sure that expectations are appropriate and centered and we have realistic ones going in here because LAFC, no matter their form, no matter their fixture congestion, no matter their turnover from 22, they're still a talented team. And keep in mind that all of the, the issues that we've talked about from uh, their, their player turnover from last year to their fixture congestion, they're still third in the league. They're just five points off of St. Louis city. And so they've all of the things we've talked about, they're still winning games consistently enough to be in this conversation. They're still a dangerous team and it's still an away match in the midweek between two others. There's a lot that could go wrong in this match. And there's a lot of talented players. LAFC has available. That's my big takeaway here is temper expectations. Given the fact that we're on a three game win streak and it's exciting and we all want to see St. Louis city continue to win. I would be happy to come away with a point from this one. Yeah, four points on the road. Um, I think that that will be that will be great. And then uh, you come back uh, to City Park, is still uh, undefeated in the last few games. Uh, and yeah, I know everybody wants to win all the games, but uh, that's not always possible. And uh, and a tie against a talented LAFC on the road, I think, uh, will be a great result. I guarantee their fans are going to be frustrated if we pull out a point after their run of form, and especially after the Quakes did the same with 10 men on the field this past weekend. Their their fans would be upset, and that's a good position for us to put them in. Yeah, and and if, if you tie, uh, they don't... Uh, basically, you, you keep that distance of uh, five points uh, the City has right now with LAFC. So, so yeah, the tie would be a, a great result uh, for City, especially after back-to-back uh, road games. Anything else you want to talk about LAFC? Um, no, no. I think uh, let's uh, wrap it up for today, Matt. Our, our Probably our biggest fallout show ever. And why not when you're winning games and you have some fun things to talk about? That's it for us, though, on Flyover Footy's fallout show. For Santiago Beltran, I'm Matt Baker. Thanks for joining us, as always. We really appreciate it. If you get a chance, uh, leave us a review. Subscribe to get all the flyovers when they drop immediately. We drop them on Mondays and Fridays. We've got the streams on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, Always love having you with us. Let us know how we're doing, and we'll be back with you this upcoming week to recap this LAFC game, preview Miami on Friday. Thanks as always, and we'll talk to you later. Vamos, City.